0: So, Daryl Lamont Jenkins, uh, you are an anti-fascist civil rights advic- uh, activist, uh, and you are the founder of One People's Project. Um, so, one of the reasons, I mean, you've been on my other show called You People, which is a public access show, and we've talked uh, extensively about race and politics and sort sort of how those two worlds intertwine. Um, on the show Paradox of Civility, my show here, this podcast, you um, I've been using it to revisit an online radio show that I did called The Hate Project back in 2012 and 2013, and um, I ended up talking to actual neo-Nazis and actual members of hate groups, and your name came up. Uh, this guy named Edward McBride uh, said that uh, you called into his show. It was like a white pride, white nationalist show on talk shoe, and you debated him. Um I just wanted to get into I, I just wanted to get a sense of what your experience was debating uh, Edward McBride this uh very open neo-Nazi on his Rio show. Um so first of all um how did you get invited to that show?
1: He just hit me up via email and um generally I don't go on right-wing programs because um uh I don't it it, it just seems uh how should I say uh uncouth to do so yeah Um, i I think that it's kind of like leave them to themselves um if they come our way or when they come our way as the case may be then we handle them there's nothing really to talk about but i needed to um i wanted to just this was a small radio show a little small podcast and i figured eh, what harm could it do and it didn't hasn't done any harm Right. So I, mean, I, I just wanted to, um, I just basically wanted to get my chops up. It's the same right. reason why I ended up on Jesse Lee Peterson show. Same exact reason. I was just wanted to get my chops up. Right. Uh, going after these guys. And yeah. Yeah. Of how they come at you and vice versa.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so, so that's how I got on. And what was it like debating them or d- yeah. discussing with them? You know, it was kind of like, um, you know, we're talking in circles, really. And we're not convincing each other. And that wasn't really the intent for either of us. And that adds to the other reason why I don't like going on these things. If I'm not talking to you, that means I'm, I'm wasting both of our time. I mean, if I'm not talking to you when I'm on your show, that means I'm trying to appeal to someone else, to be honest, whoever. And, um,
0: you mean if you are on somebody's show and you're talking to them, you're trying to get a, a third audience or like an outside audience? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. And that exactly. That's a, that will exactly be the mission. Start planting. I like planting seeds. Yeah. Um. But you know, it's kind of like there's only but so much of those seeds you can plant before you start saying, you know, I need another garden. Sure. So, <laughs> so I so I've only been on the show maybe twice. And, yeah. Uh, and I, and then that was it. I just moved on with my life and I've never, and, and the show never came. I mean, I've heard the um, recording probably once, but I've never heard it again.
0: Right. So the way that, uh, Edward McBride, uh, talked about you was interesting. He said that, you know, you debated him. He said that you knew your stuff. There was a weird, he mentioned you a couple of times cause he called into the hate project a few times and, um, and actually, Edward McBride uh, on my show, um, not a dumb guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's a pretty articulate guy. He seems like he's actually a pretty thoughtful guy. And in fact, there was this African-American sports host called Naj Radio who used to call into my show regularly and talk with him. And he would kind of say, like, Edward McBride, I, think you're, I, I don't think this is the end of the line for you. I think you're going to leave this movement. Um, so... I kind of, uh, my, my sense, and anyone can listen to this, anyone listening to my podcast, you can go to episode 10. Uh, it's called From Loose the to the Proud Boys. I don't know what it's called. Um, but you can listen to uh, what uh, McBride says about Daryl Lamont Jenkins there. Um, did you get a sense of like, I don't know, did you get that same sense from talking with this guy?
1: You know, I got some sense of that, um, but I think... He has too much of a vested interest right now to yeah. leave right now. So it's only gonna it's only gonna be after everything just falls apart that you're gonna start seeing it. Or as he grows and he starts having kids or whatever, you know, we, we'll see what happens. I mean, all I know is that if he doesn't get out, I have to treat him like the Nazi he is. Antifa has to treat him like the Nazi he is. Right? I, um, he asked in his he asked in his uh. In his uh, discussion, in our discussion, what if um, some, uh, what if some black activists came up to him and st- um, started getting in into- the started attacking him and 70- "I said I would just step out of the way and let nature take its course." My, yeah. <laughs> I mean, my obligation is going to be to those they target, and I, I, I say that all the time. Yeah, those the people that um, they can hurt, I have my priorities lie with them. It doesn't lie. We're trying to to help them find a better way, you
0: know? Right, right. Um, And um, so actually with One People's Project, not only do you directly confront um, Nazis and white supremacists and white nationalists when they march in the streets or hold any rallies, um, you know, you do uh, show up to confront those folks. But uh, part of your work also is actually – helping people leave the movement as well. And, um, this is, um, featured in the film skin, uh, directed by Guy Nativ. That's in currently in theaters. It just opened this past Friday. Um, so at the time of this taping, um, uh, you know, it opened the past Friday of the time of this taping, which is July 29th, 2019. And so it's currently in theaters and, um, you know, you do a lot of work, it seems, of getting helping people leave the neo-Nazi movement as well. So I, I do want to talk about uh, skin in a second here. Um, how dangerous is that work? I mean, is there like a fear or is there like a danger that you're putting yourself in and not only confronting these folks because they know who you are? You're kind of um, an iconic figure amongst uh, the white nationalist movement. Uh, But also I'm sure they doubly don't like that you're helping people leave the movement. So uh, I guess like, yeah, what are some of the challenges of that and how dangerous is that?
1: Well, the challenge is basically you don't know who, um, if they're sincere. Yeah, And that's why I always tell people if they are trying to get out, they need to come to us first. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm not chasing them around. If they still want to be Nazis, that's the way it goes. And I would say in regards to danger, of course every aspect of this is dangerous these are the people who go out and kill folks who do not agree who they do not agree with who they do not want around so yeah that is going to be um some dangerous mess if uh if we're dealing with them in any capacity so you want to be careful you want to make sure that while you're trying to make things copacetic make things decent in today's society you don't get killed doing it. I mean, I don't want to be a martyr. Of course. Sorry. I mean, martyrs just lie around and just live off their and just live off their past glory, and most of them don't live. So yeah, of course. Quite frankly, I, I can do a lot better above ground. So I'm not looking to be a martyr. So, yeah. So my thing is, you have to be careful. You have to be calculated when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Sometimes you can throw caution to the wind, but you have to be able to know when those times are. Yeah. Um, and um, in the movie Skin, the same the same will apply. It took a while before we even met. Uh, me and Brian Brian Widener was um, depicted in the movie by Jamie Bell. Right. And and uh, I think that it's only in the name of in the interest of both of the safety for both of us um, that that was the case. Uh, uh we have to a, and even now he has to worry about his past two trying to cause him grief um or cause me grief these are the um especially now that our names are out there that are name, that we're pretty prominent out there these days. My yeah, thinking yeah. is we have to um if we're going to solve these problems if we're going to come to resolutions um we have to be able to um force ourselves and steal ourselves. Um, against what might come our way and that's basically what I did
0: okay yeah so I guess um, another question so uh, okay we can start talking about the movie skin Um, so I went to a screening of this film last week last Tuesday um, and uh, we had an interview scheduled for the day before or like kind of before the week uh, but it didn't it didn't come out uh, for technical purposes technical reasons um so you had kind of a whirlwind uh, press uh, junket for this film as well. And I had some questions about this movie. Uh, in fact, like I'm glad that um, technology prevented us from having the interview when we did. Because I actually have more questions uh, about this. And the first one is, without like giving anything away, um, how dra- dramatized was your character uh, versus real life? What do you think about
1: that? Well, without giving anything away I, I mean it was pretty much spot on my culture pretty much had made down to at um there was a few mm. things that were um that there was some creative license used but um but but overall i'm ha- I'm happy with the depiction I mean, okay and me and my um, culture was um it it was a uh, really good working with him. And showing him how I operate, how I do things. He kind of got me because he also knew literally where I came from. He went to school here for a little bit. Okay. He went to school in my neighborhood. And uh, he also um, is originally from South Carolina. And he went to Benedict College, which is also where my father went. Right. I mean, he was there for a little while. Um, so we was able to build a good rapport based on that alone and to talk about the various things that he's um looking to do the projects that he's looking to do. And, uh, and, um, and to that end, I think that, and I'll tell you, because of the report that I had with Mike, um, Brian had with Jamie, um, and we both had with all the actors, um, we was able to put together a pretty decent pro pretty decent non-production.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess, um, like, uh, one of the scenes in the film, um, there's a scene where uh, I don't think I'm giving giving anything away, but um Jamie Bell, who plays Byron Brian James Widner. Um, is it Byron or Bi- Brian? I'm Brian, sorry. Brian,
1: Brian, Brian? Brian, Brian Widener. Brian
0: Widner. okay. So there's a scene in the film where you know you're videotaping him. He's on he's on his way to like an event, and you're actually videotaping uh Brian. Uh and so in the movie, um Mike Coulter, who's playing you, you know, he's yelling at Brian Widner. I think you have it in you to leave. You have it in you to leave. So, is this really true? Like, I mean, because in the film also it's depicted that you're confronting this group that Brian uh, actually belongs to quite often in the film. And uh, did you, before Brian came to the One People's Project, did he? Did you really kind of have that? If not, like that exact interaction, did you have that sort of an interaction with him, where not you with saw him. But
1: There were others that I would have something similar um some kinds of interactions like that. Um, where, you,
0: where you saw something in them that like you have it in you to leave the movement. This like, is not really.
1: Well, it's like what I was saying before, how I like to plant seeds. I mean, just recently I was having a, um, a nice little tay to with the proud boys while they was trying to hold the rally and that's on video somewhere on the internet. Yeah. And it's kind of like, that's what I do. I mean, I have, I have conversations that try, I would try to encourage them um out there like that, but um it it won't be priority one, as I said, but you know, I, I will throw it out there. And yes, i if they have an event, um I might just be the only one out there videotaping. What are they gonna do? Come after me.
0: <laughs> well yeah well that's a good question because in the film you're all by yourself videotaping yeah. like and he's on his way to like another event with a bunch of neo-nazis so
1: oh, fun fact by the way that is my car that he's leaning on oh is it is <laughs> it really actual Car.
0: so oh, nice well okay so i mean i guess like y- you were saying like you know what are they going to do i guess like in my head I would be afraid. I'm not going to lie about that because I'd be one guy and there's a bunch of neo-Nazis. What's to stop them from making me disappear?
1: Well, they could, um, what's to stop me, me.
0: No, what, what's to stop them from what's making stop
1: them from making yeah, me, disappear? me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, uh, it's not like I don't go into this thing, expect, um, not expected that they can make a move. Um, uh, that's why normally whenever I'm, um, pulling some stunt like that. I got my side with me. So sure. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is I got work to do. I mean, it may not be necessarily, um, a party and, I'm um, and, uh, and I see them going by. It could be that. It could be a conference. Um, generally I'm not by myself, but if it warrants it, if I need to, then yeah, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to be there trying to, uh, get what I need to get. And, right. uh, they can't, and really, they can't do anything about it. That I mean, they want to, but they can't for various reasons.
2: Okay. So,
1: you know, so- I, I, so I use the opportunity. I use the opportunity to, uh, the videotape and talk to them, um, whatever, but priority one, make sure that they, their ability to function is diminished
0: yeah right, right. so, in the film also um a couple of things that stood out to me um and th- they stood out to me just because i've talked to, I've talked with you in person, and so I just didn't know this you they kind of the film kind of depicts you almost like some sort of like a fixer type character that like um you know that's sort of like uh the witness protection guy, the guy like that like arranges like you know here's where you're gonna stay, you talk to this person, you don't talk to this person and it also in the film it kind of depicts you as having a close relationship with law enforcement in that area um or any area really um mm-hmm. is, am, I, am i is that true like cuz like in the film like I said,
1: like, there's a lot of license being used in this movie ah, right the closest i have ever been to law enforcement was me being in the air force when i was a cop i mean okay. that's the clo- that's the closest it's ever been i mean in this day and age, I couldn't mess around with the FBI like that. Um, I will tell you, um, I think it's always more important because I'm above ground, they do call. And, I, and my thing is that whatever it is I put out there publicly is is the information that they can use. Because frankly, I don't want to put information out. I, I don't want to um, keep information close to my chest because if I, uh, if I am keeping information close to my chest and I don't have it out on the website, I don't trust the information so i mean that's that's just on general principle but the right. truth of the matter is no i don't have that real that that close of relationship with the fbi with the atf with the dhs or anything like that it's not it, it, it i don't think i can be functional if i if i had that kind of relationship
0: like what what, what, what about like local law enforcement Local you law you're...
1: enforcement either i think when you consider that you have a lot of police um law enforcement that are in those groups themselves. I mean, that was kind of sort of depicted in the movie too. Mm. Um, but um, just briefly, I mean, really? I have to be mindful of that. I mean, I could sit there and try to, uh, to work with the police or anything like that and find out that the police are giving my information to, um, some group that's trying to cause grief. And then the police help them try to cause me even more grief. I mean, well, that's, that's, that's- the thing that you have to worry about, especially in a day and age where, um, Trump thinks that he could, uh, Make a uh, antifa-terrorist organization just out of the blue, and by antifa I mean all of us
0: yeah, and I, do, I definitely want to talk about that in a second here. Um, this, well, so that's the thing in the film. like um, it does so like how involved were you in the making right. of this film in the development um, of it?
1: I was very involved from the beginning of the <clears throat> script <clears throat> from, from, the, um, from the script, putting <clears throat> it together to the, um, to the to the rap to the final end. I had to, you know, nativ is a storyteller. Uh Uh-huh. This is his mission. This is what he does. He tells stories. And he knows what moves the story. Right. He knows what um what people what um what people will respond to. So I just put it in his hands. Um I expect a creative license. So it's it's not really an issue. Um, if people want to know what the true story is, I'll be more than happy to tell them. to be honest with you, one of the um one of the more um powerful things that I have done in recent years is that um and we discussed this the last time I was with you was yeah. the um, was the documentary All Right Age of rage yeah. I think um it helps this and the and the movie gives you an idea of both sides of my coin, you know yeah. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to love you. Somewhere, some, both can come together, but not always.
0: Right. And so, um, I guess, um, were there ever moments, uh, in the making of this film where you were sort of like, I mean, and understanding what you just now said, that it's a work of fiction. It's, um, a a fictional film.
1: I wouldn't say that, but there's just a few things in there that isn't exactly as it played out, but it's not really a work of fiction. Like I'll tell you right now. It's not a documentary. For example, The The jump scene, for example, did happen. Not that way, but it did happen enough to the point that Brian, we was actually on set as they was um shooting that scene. Me and Brian had to go back to the hotel because his PTSD kicked in about that scene. Oh man, I don't know what exactly happened, but it was enough for Brian for to um for Brian to react. And he saw it in the theater when he saw it in the theater this weekend. Um, for the first time, he had to walk out yeah it's a rough movie for him there's a lot of stuff that's going on in that movie that um that he can't handle seeing again
0: so So, yeah i guess like um yeah that's that is a rough scene i won't talk about it here but i do i I know exactly what you're talking about it's a pretty brutal scene in general um well i guess like were there ever any moments where you were just like okay you're taking this way too far from the truth did you ever have any moments with that with guy no not at
1: all not really not really okay I mean, like I, mean, I like said, there was a few things that made me just um, raise an eyebrow. I didn't do that, that kind of thing. But, you know, um, like I said, I put it in his hands. He was truer to the story than I can expect others to be.
0: Sure, yeah. Well, that's the thing. I want to talk about the law enforcement in, the, in, in regards in real life and also kind of in this film. So law enforcement, uh, they sort of are shown as like just doing their job. Like they're, you know, going after these guys and it kind of culminates in a way uh, nearing the end of the film. Um, but you you just now mentioned that, you know, law enforcement, and this has been an issue, uh, law enforcement has been infiltrated by white supremacist, white nationalist group members, uh, by uh, very deliberately. So, um, you know, so, um, do you feel like, uh, the film could have gone in that direction a little bit more? Could the film or like, would that have just been a completely different film? of just sort I think of like it
1: a completely different film. I think that there was a um a certain focus that uh that skin has and that was distracted if you notice the film really didn't deal with politics. Yeah. It dealt well, with the people behind the politics. Yeah. That was that was um important. That g- that gives us an idea of where they were coming from, where I'm coming from and so on. So uh, I mean, yes, politics was a backdrop. Let's not be silly about it. But but first sure. and foremost, the people were the back. People were in the forefront, and they were the ones that mattered in this film. So yeah. I did not expect um, a political statement being made at all in this movie. Um, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get one. I mean, yeah. it is there, especially in this day and age? Definitely. But, it wasn't, um, but there's something behind those statements if there if you do find them. So no, I did not expect the uh, it to go in the direction of showing us how bad the cops are because that's not part of the story. It may right. be a part of my story because they are working on something that um that involves how I come up, how I do, how I did things. So the one of the next projects that they're working on is a story is my story. It's almost so, yeah. like a, it's be a companion piece again.
0: I actually did. Uh, I did. Uh. I so the screening that I went to last week, uh, Jamie Bell was there. And um, the moderator actually mentioned that the next project that Guy Nativ is working on is going to be your, uh, going to be a film focused on you and your work. Um, and I don't want, you know, I don't, obviously you probably can't talk a lot about that right now. Uh,
1: <laughs> Just because I don't have an answer. I don't know what they're going to do, how they're going to do it. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned that you were a cop um, before. Um, so did you experience or did you witness uh white nationalist infiltration when you were uh, a cop?
1: Well, when I was a police officer, I mean, that was, I, I that was when I was in the air force. And air force? so
0: so what does that mean exactly? So were you part of the, like, so you were in the air force,
1: there for security police. That's what they call it. Okay.
0: Them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see.
1: I mean, I was, lo- I was a law enforcement specialist and I was also 18 years old. Right. And I'm just learning about life. So, There's a lot of things that, yeah, you saw it, but I didn't notice it. I mean, didn't notice it the way I would notice it now, I should say. I I kind of felt it. I thought something was fishy. I mean, you know, my roommate used to say, um, I mean, actually had the audacity to tell me that it was a fact of life that black people effed up more than whites. He's a cop. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, oh, brother. And I look at, um, and I got kicked out. I want to stress that right now because it wasn't like, I had the most exemplary service in the world. I mean, I just simply did not want to be there. And, um, and I, and it showed. So eventually I ended up uh, getting thrown out. So. Yeah. But what, but what's weird about, um, about that time is that now I look at some of my old, my old people and they are involved in some of these far right things. I mean, Some of them are still cops some of them have joined the oath keepers and i'm just like oh man it's and it sucks yeah these are people who whose lives i mean who whose lives um i put my life in their hands you know but then again you know it is what it is so
0: That's 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 an interesting thing to talk about right now, because obviously, like there's been news stories about cops being part of like Facebook hate groups, Uh, you know, either they've been retired or they've been like active duty cops. And then, of course, we had the uh, story about the customs uh, and Border Patrol uh, members, almost half of the members being belong to this horrible Facebook group where they're posting racist memes, uh, racist and sexist memes. Um, so there is a deliberate pipeline, it seems like from just like the fringes of society to mainstream society. Cause it's like, it's harder for like somebody with a Nazi tattoo to get away with killing someone. Mm -hmm. But if you have a badge on you, you can kill somebody on camera and get a paid vacation over it.
1: Yeah. I find it really interesting how we stopped talking about the, in the sixties. We stopped talking about the Klan and their lynchings around the same time we started talking about the police brutality in this country.
0: Yeah, so like, I mean, do you know, like, I mean, with your with the limited time that you had, how long were you uh, uh, in the in United States Air Force, cop?
1: Two anyway, years, eight months and ten days.
0: Two years, eight months, and ten days. Okay. And uh, uh, if you don't, uh, if you don't mind my asking, what, like, what led you to leave? Like, was it an event, or did you just? You kind know, of, to
1: be like, honest with you, I was just a schlep. I mean, I'm not even going to sugarcoat that. I was just, I was just a failure at it. I mean, I did not want to be there, and I didn't do my job. And I'm gonna tell you flat out, the fact remains that I was there, and I, and I am not going to try to pretend that um, it's a badge of honor that I got kicked out. I used to, be, I used to act that way. Sure. But, um, but truth be told, no, there were people that whose lives um were entrusted to me as well i was supposed to be there for them and i failed yeah i I have to live with that so i'm not going to sit up here and try to pretend that uh um i did a good thing by getting kicked out however it was a good thing that i got kicked out because it did cause me to um, prompt me to go into the direction that i wanted to go in and i swore um i swore that when i once i got out that i would um never let anybody control my life that much again because um I did not feel, I, I felt I was out of control. I, ver- I very much so felt I was out of control, um, of my life when I was in the military. And, um, but that's on me. That's on me. I took the job. Yeah. Um, well, but I, still I guess feel like I have an obligation in many respects. I still feel I have to maintain, um, that oath in some fashion. And that's why I continue to do what I do. Right. So this is My way of still, um, This is my way of still um, trying to defend against all enemies, foreign and domestic.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I guess, like, so my question is, like, uh, in your limited time in law enforcement, um, or just, well, not just that, but just, like, what you've observed also just in life, do you think that there's any reforming of the police department uh, in any level, or should we just go ahead? I mean, because to me it feels a little helpless. I feel a little helpless about law enforcement in general. I mean, is there just something that we could do, like, If we were able to abolish all police, uh, is there an alternative way of community policing that we could figure out as a society? And if so, do you happen to know what that might be? That's a big question, I realize. That's
1: a question that's going to be asked along with, I mean, I don't know what the replacement is. Because if we were to abolish, I'm going to be real. I had a problem with somebody suggesting that years ago. And I told them, look, abolishing the police, that's how lynchings got started. Right. All of a sudden, these vigilance committees, and they call the Klan vigilance committees, start popping yeah. up. And my thing is, you can sit there and talk about how we would be able to police our own communities without the benefit of some government institution, which is all well and good. But how do you make sure that people um, within your communities don't find a way to place themselves above that law? Yeah. I mean, do you what kind of what does law enforcement look like to you? That is going to be a question that people are going to have to ask. How do we structure it so that I think this is really the um the um the gist of what we're trying to get at here? How do we enforce the law without those enforcing the law becoming corrupt while doing it? That's that is the structure. That is what you're trying to fix.
0: So can we,
1: whether it is some boys in blue and um, and, in a structured government situation, or we have our own institution, have smaller institutions or something like that, community institutions that um, that maintain our community, we are still going to have to deal with that. So unfortunately, we have a law enforcement system that places itself above the law. That's so, not going to change them unless we figure out how to.
0: Yeah, so I guess that'll be my follow-up question then, because if we can't, if if abol- abolishing, uh, for the reasons you stated, if that's not a feasible solution, are there ways of reforming uh, the police force from the inside? Um, are there ways of doing that? Because many would argue that, hey, diversity and you know representation, we need a more diverse police force but it seems like that's never the solution because it seems like even like when you have like people of color in charge of police departments, it's still the same white supremacist nightmare, like Sheriff David Clark. Great example of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or folks like that, or even like that woman in Portland, Danielle outlaw. She seems like, you know um, you know, uh, ultimately just upholding the same, you know, white supremacist status quo where her police force attacks uh, a- this bullshit, you know, uh, this uh, their idea of what Antifa is, uh, and they seem to protect the right wing groups that are marching through and being allowed to terrorize people. So it doesn't seem like that's a solution. Like what? Like I guess like this is again a well, big question. What is a solution?
1: Well, in the case of Portland, they need to be investigated. They need to be investigated. And they need to be um. They need to be overhauled because that's just too obvious. That's way too obvious. Yeah. That um that they're pulling that. And uh, and it doesn't make any sense. Apparently, um, you know, the mayor is supposed to be the police commissioner also in Portland, so he's gonna have to be investigated. There is no excuse for that. Yeah. Um, but the fact remains they're not going to be. And now we have to start asking, what do we do in order to make sure that um they do have an account, um they do give an account of what they do out there in the streets. Truth be told, we're looking for bad cops to go to jail. And if bad cops aren't going to go to jail, um, why is that? Now, I'm going to tell you something. Dealing with police brutality for years, for about about as long as I've been involved in advocacy and such. Yeah. And we always ran. It was always the same game. Um, White cop kills black teenager or Hispanic teenager or whatever. Black black person we go out in the streets we say our thing um the people who support police say their thing and in the end the cop doesn't get in trouble um we bitch and moan about it but then it's over yeah and amadou diallo was a difference in that regard because when amadou diallo uh got shot and killed the um 41 shots back in february 4th 99 We didn't just go out, we didn't just um, start complaining about the police. We started complaining about the elected officials that keep letting this happen. In this case, it was New York Mayor Giuliani. Right. Um, It was happening at the same time that um, there was four brothers that was going out to a basketball tryout and got shot by the um, New York, I mean, I'm sorry, the New Jersey State Police and um and the issue of racial profiling came up. So Christy Todd Whitman, who was the governor at that time, started catching some help. Um, and also at that time, um, oh, what is his name? Um Luima, Abner Luima. Yeah. The trial of the four police officers, a trial of the police officers rather, I don't know if there were four, yeah, was um was underway. All of that happened in the month of February. And all, and, and basically, when we started training our guns, so to speak, on the politicians, that's when you started seeing some shakeups here and there. Um, Giuliani was supposed to run for the Senate, run for the Senate in '99. He hasn't her- held another elected office after mayor, right? That was the last one because we really damaged him after that. We really damaged him after that. So, yeah. Um, that might be the key. We need to hold our elected officials accountable. More to the point, we need to be our elected officials.
0: Right, that's that might be the solution. Yeah, yeah that's, that's probably the better solution because it seems like the elected officials, even the liberal ones, they don't seem to be that interested in holding police accountable. I mean, no. it's like, <clears throat> and that's I a problem. We'll,
1: I think we've seen exactly what the problem is when, when you have uh, Joe Biden catching hell because of his association with the segregationist, um senators, oh. of yeah. which they were also part of the de- uh, members of the Democratic Party. Yeah, and yeah. It was about time that um, that problem was addressed. It really was when that during the debate that would not have happened. If it was um, a bunch of white guys sitting up there running for president, this was during Hmm. the debate. Yeah, Um, you have to have people of color. You have to have the demographics shifting in today's society for these things to be brought up. And that has never happened before. It's happening now. And that's why we're talking about it 30 or 40 years later. So when Joe Biden went up there, he was called to task. For saying for um saying that they were decent guys you could work across the aisle they weren't really across the aisle but um but that hurt us as um it hurt us as black people you might think you was helping us no you were wrong we weren't even in the room right well we weren't even in the room so how do you know you was helping us you weren't even listening to us you were listening to them
0: yeah yeah and I guess like I mean and you know God bless Kamala Harris for bringing that up but you know at the same time. I can't help but feel a little um, frustrated, though, because you know Kamala Harris. She doesn't have like a great track record in well, regards to. she does not take well, steps, though. I mean, Baby that's somebody. Step. Yeah, I mean, it's but that's somebody, and that, that's where I take issue with, like, sort of like the demographic uh, argument. I mean, I guess, um, yeah, I mean, like demographic. Well, I mean, obviously well, that's well, important.
1: Look at it like this. Look at it like this. Were it not for, um. Kamala Harris being up there to call Biden out, we would not be able to have the um, opportunity to pay it forward to, uh, to continue that conversation about yeah. why there is a problem. It stopped becoming about Kamala Harris once that question came out. Now we're yeah, taking the ball and running with it. So, yeah. so it, it's it's bigger than Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. I mean, it, it, Rendell reminded me of that. Ed Rendell, former governor of Pennsylvania, former mayor of Philadelphia. He reminded right. me of that when, um, he was in the, in, while defending Joe Biden on this, was sitting there talking about how the democratic party wasn't a progressive um, party. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, then why are you guys pushing for progressive votes? Right. And I mean, you know, I like Ed Rendell, but him, go, uh, him defending Biden reminded me of the relationship that he had with Frank Rizzo, the mayor, the racist mayor of Philadelphia. Right. <laughs> it says you did the same thing that caused Biden some grief in that debate. And, and I'll tell you something there's way too many people on the Democratic side who um on that liberal Democrat side who have that problem. Oh, yeah. Don't realize that they were not a friend of the Negro as much as they thought they were.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: And it, it caused us a lot of grief. And if we were in the room at the time, a lot of the stuff that they did would not have happened, but we're in the room now, and it needs to be addressed. That's what Kamala Harris point um that's what Kamala Harris contributed to this conversation
0: sure sure okay yeah that's that's a good point um i I guess yeah it's it just seems like even like as people of color advance the same we still have the same race lines and the same same class lines that just keep on existing, and that's what's sort of
1: baby steps. We are going to handle it all if we do it properly. I mean, yes, we are going to have to address Kamala Harris's um, past record. There is nobody on that platform. There's no one that's running for president or any elected office right now that doesn't have something we need to talk about.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: No. But there's no one that um, we (coughs) we shouldn't be um, having a conversation with about their various records um but um and yes folks that includes bernie sanders he isn't perfect um, yeah
0: oh, i agree with you on that
1: yeah i mean i like the guy but come on now
0: <laughs> no he's certainly not perfect yeah and yeah you're absolutely right about that none of them are perfect um yeah i, I want to uh kind of circle back to the film really quickly so jamie bell at that screening. um he brought up that um, he was apprehensive about this film, about if this film was just giving these neo-Nazis another platform. Um, like as in like kind of like maybe not that it's bad to humanize people, but uh, humanizing them in a way that sort of maybe kind of helps them, kind of helps them sort of like use that as a platform to spread their hate. Um and he said that he still has a moral conundrum about the film. Now, that was my problem, That this has been an ongoing theme uh, with my podcast that you're on right now, Paradox of Civility, where, um, you know, I try to understand people, I try to talk with people, I try to debate people, but it's sort of like, was I just used as another platform for for them to spread their hate? So I just want to get your opinion about the movie Skin. Um, You know, this sort of, it's based on a real story um fictional film that's based on a real story do you share jamie bell's conund- moral conundrum about the film
1: there's always there's always gonna be that i mean I, we can't not talk about the um about the issue the yeah. way you deal with it is the way you deal with it in a uh, production such as this is the way the guy that um dealt with it there isn't anybody uh, that was um that is involved with the film um that has been involved in any kind of real um, neo-fascist politics right. like that and other productions that I have seen in the past I'm not going to mention anybody but um they've had the neo-nazis as their technical advisors there were no neo-nazis other than probably Brian that was um advising um, people in this movie and Brian is out of the game
2: yeah yeah of course so
1: with Brian and his anti-fascist activists, that was um basically um, helping them along trying to understand where this movie is going. Um and that and that goes a long way into preventing um the kind of platforming that people are concerned about. Sure. Um, I, I think everybody can be um safe in the uh in, in knowing that um this movie was not done to hype up the villain the social glove. <laughs> and yeah of course and and if it helps anybody everybody that played everybody that played a Vinlander was Jewish so
0: (laughs) well yeah I mean it's it's interesting because like um I I I kind of I can kind of respect where he's coming from a little bit in that you know the protagonist of the film is a neo-nazi who's trying to leave um and so is would the result is the possible result this uh that kind of makes it look like okay well these neo-nazis they're all just a bunch of guys who lost their way and uh maybe they're not such a threat because you know this guy's clearly not a bad guy we see that he treats his wife really well and all that stuff and um so it kind of like there could be a defanging uh uh result of a film like this um but, you know, I think like maybe like you said, I mean, there's probably no perfect way of depicting this. It's like you have to have this conversation, but there's no obviously like there's no one way that you're going to please everybody on
1: this particular. Uh, well, that's uh, one of the reasons why I like the book and um, productions that I have been working on. Whether um, you're talking about or whether you're talking about uh, alt-right Age of Rage, which doesn't show that skin. Yeah. Which shows that you know there is some humanity in there, and then the short film "Skin,"
0: which is which different from the
1: was not about a redemptive story.
0: It was <laughs> very different. Yeah, I, I recommend anyone check out the short film as well. It's it's well, they're both good, but like yeah, the short film is really interesting and very different from the the feature film.
1: Yes, and that's all I'm going to say because you guys need to see it. It's on yeah, it's on YouTube. You can find it Fox Searchlight. Um, put it up on youtube so people can watch that
0: yeah and, it's worth watching
1: yeah but i would say and i would say even um because jamie um jamie bell made this point in a couple of interviews that the um, feature film skin is not a redemptive story yeah yeah i mean there is um in the end you got to remember that no matter what um kind of transformation somebody who was in this world makes there is still a lot to atone for. There are still people out there that they might have hurt. There are still people who will remember them as somebody who thought that genocide is a great political thing to put on your platform. Right. So, you know, it's... There are some people who will never forgive him, who will never forget Brian. Some people that are still afraid of him. Sure. You know, I mean... And there's always, even if he doesn't... Even if any of them fully get out of the white power scene and yes they do fully get out there's still that personal baggage that might still be there that got them in there in the first place and without that world without that family without that support they're going to go insane still now so, we um, have to out, we got to remember that a lot of them really do need help getting them sure. out of the white power scene is just part of it and i'm not just talking about white power scenes either you're talking about those gangbangers. You're talking about those folks that get radicalized. You're talking about the folks that join the joint cult. You know. Yeah. They're looking for something. They're people that are damaged. They're looking for something. Um, they found the wrong thing, but then they got out of the wrong thing, looking for the right thing still.
0: Yeah. There is um there is kind of like a, a subplot in the film. It's not really a subplot, but it's sort of like you do see how like at least one of the younger members joins the club. <laughs> Um, because he was living on the street, you know, and so, um, that was kind of an interesting, uh, depiction, I thought, um, and I don't want to give too much away because you'll see it when you go see the movie. Um, so, uh, what was I going to ask you? Um, now, I guess here's another question I have. This is, um, I've, I've kind of been growing a little bit less compassionate. I'll be honest over these years. Mainly because um, I just feel like the white nationalist movement has uh, made its way to the White House. It's made its way to the highest offices of the land. Um, and I've just been feeling like you know, is there really? I mean, how do you deal with this threat of white supremacy, white nationalists, all these groups peacefully? Because if you, you just would, yeah, that's that's the thing. So it's like
1: you don't. How, and How that's one of the reasons why everybody doesn't, a lot of people, um, that as to what uh, the propaganda that um, the right likes to put on Antifa about us being violent, ignoring the fact that today we're dealing with not just the violence coming from them in California, but the violence coming from two knuckleheads that are still on the run in Canada. Yeah. And, there, Ooh, and both that's... those situations involve murders. But that's What's the story in Canada. Point. The fact what... of the matter is, um, when I say not being peaceful about it, it's it means you're going to be a little bit more aggressive against this crowd than you would your, um, person that you do have just a simple political disagreement with. You are going to have to be assertive to the point where they cannot do a thing. You have yeah. to block them at every turn because the moment that they, um, are allowed in something about your life gets destroyed. You yeah. know, I mean. So, and and that's all they want to do is destroy everything that this society has been about in the name of America. Well, that's America that doesn't exist anymore and never should have existed in the first place.
0: Well, yeah. So at the time of this uh, taping, you know, there was a shooting yesterday in uh, Gilroy, California at the garlic festival. And it was revealed that this was a guy who was, um, he was half white, half Iranian, I guess, half Italian, half Iranian. And he was sort of like posting these. I forgot the the manifesto. It's a right-wing manifesto. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. What's I can't remember the
1: name remember of it because it's yet again the latest of manifestos that they keep putting out. And well, it's, it's like, kind of it's like a... They just keep on writing these manifestos as if they should be taken as gospel. And I'm just like...
0: Oh no no! There, he, uh, there's like there's like a manifesto that he's, he was recommending that people read. It's like "might is right" or something like that.
1: Yeah, that was exactly the name of it. By that, that was the name of it. Might is right.
0: And by and who's that by again? Oh, Ragnar uh, Redbeard. I'm just looking it up now. Yeah. Okay. Um. And so, like, we have had that issue here, and um, and so, like, it just keeps on going on. We have like these lone wolf attacks, um. I don't know, man. I mean, I just, I, th- the way I've been feeling about all this lately has just been like the way that psychotic right wingers have talked about like Muslims after 9 11, where they're just like, we should kill them all and let God sort them out. I just kind of feel like, I mean, and
1: that's one of the reasons why, I mean, just recently on Twitter, I was getting into it with this really nasty Islamophobe anti Muslim scumbag by the name of um, Robert Spencer. And he wrote an article complaining that people were out there um of uh, exposing folks who were writing writing under pseudonyms that were attacking Muslims and other people. And I said, no, you don't get the opportunity to hide. No. That, I mean, and they're sitting there talking about, well we demand we, we our privacy we demand our privacy. We earn our privacy. Our privacy is important to us. Well leave us alone. Yeah. Right. I mean like again because like we- yeah, because basically the deal was they always talking about how anti wears masks. Well, pseudonym's a mask.
0: Yeah, that's they, the thing. Mask. Well, and and so like this is like why anybody talks about this shit. If they just literally like, you know, like the Proud Boys, they they advertise themselves as like oh, we're just a drinking club. If all these groups were just like we're just going to get together in our own corner and celebrate white culture, whatever that is, because that doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's it's no, no such thing as white. But
1: yeah, Like, like Proud Boys hashtag Proud Boys lie. They know that they were informed to start as a drinking club. That yeah,
0: and so like, man. but the but in every in every aspect of this ecosystem on the right wing, on the right wing ecosystem, you have like these groups that facilitate. Like they don't just they don't just stay in their corner. They always have to destroy other people. So either okay. you have like these lone wolf uh, folks who like the Gilroy Garlic Festival guy. Ah, uh, you had the synagogue shooter. You had the Christchurch shooter, um, lone wolf attacks, but they've been radicalized by like an online right wing ecosphere. Ah, uh, the Moss shooter in Canada, uh, that was you know Big Ben Shapiro fan. Um, so it's like, it, and this is like why I'm kind of feeling that way. Of like, I just think that like, if this was like an ISIS cell that we discovered in our community, that they, they would not exist. They would have been bombed by now. Like. Like, we would have just dropped a bomb on that fucking compound, you know? Um, And so, I guess, like, I would love to have a leader that's willing to treat, like, white supremacist groups like that. Like, where it's like, we're just going to snuff your cell out and bomb the shit out of you. And I know, like, that's maybe not feasible and probably not very popular.
1: Um, It should be. But, yeah, like, I don't know any other way of, like... I mean, the fact of the matter is... Their mission and like they keep on talking about having a civil war in this country. Take yeah. them at their word. They're trying
0: to, yeah. They may
1: not have to bomb their communities, but you can definitely handle them properly. If you don't, then you might be part of the problem too.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and then like, you know, that coupled with like there's a there's a kind of like the crazy lone wolf shit. Mm-hmm. Uh there's the um uh uh like the pipeline to law enforcement that a lot, a lot of them join law enforcement Um, or at least, you know, they find a sympathetic ear and, you know, it's made its way into the white house like Stephen Miller. Um, I don't, I don't think he uh, belongs to any group, but you know, this is a guy uh, that's very much a white supremacist, even though he's Jewish. And a lot of white supremacists, uh, people or people like who've been, who've had associations with white supremacists, white nationalist groups have made their way into the highest offices in the land. Um, and like you, you've mentioned this a couple of times now, um, we have a situation where Antifa, so we have right-wing terrorism happening on our soil, including this week, this, this yesterday. And then, uh, we have our politicians, uh, like Ted Cruz and these folks, um, Saying that Antifa are the terrorists, and Trump also said this. He's he's seconding this. Um, I don't know how do you defend against the most powerful offices in the land at this point? Because when you say Antifa, they're obviously like you know this. There's no Antifa like company or CEO. There's no Antifa central, uh, you know, central headquarters. There's right. nothing. It means nothing. It means it literally Antifa is anti-fascist, which means that everybody who's not fascist should be Antifa. Um, so it's like, what? Uh, how how worried should we be? Because that could just mean like literally anybody, including. Well, that's the who- thing.
1: It's rhetoric now. They're living yeah. off the rhetoric. Um, it's rhetoric that we need to counter, but we need to recognize that, that it's just simply rhetoric. Nothing has been put on paper. Anything gets put on paper, then those bastards need to be impeached. Anybody that that's involved, Ted Cruz, um, his co-sponsor. Donald Trump. Anything gets put on paper to go after Antifa for being anti fascist, then you gotta, then you gotta, um, definitely have to impeach. There is no wiggle room, none, because what they are doing is telling you that you cannot speak out against them. It's already a violation of First Amendment right there. But there's so many other violations that'll be going on once they put it on paper. They're not going to put it on paper because they know we're going to step up, and I don't so- mean just. My crew, I mean, just your regular people going through their day-to-day. Say, basically, Trump is trying to find ways to keep people from saying negative things about him. And yeah. that's all it is. All they got to do is to say, well, I guess you're anti fly You're under arrest. No, that is not going to fly. And they know it's not going to fly. Right. So I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Because well, if he did pull that stunt, that's a fight i won. That's, that's basically, I'm sending him a thank you note for that
0: one. I guess like, I, here's, here's like where I get a little worried. Like we know that that's correct. And we know that the people like posing that like anti the real terrorists or whatever are loons. But then in the middle, the people, the liberals in this country who hold power either in Congress or the media, they seem to always go along with this shit. Like for instance, when Andy Ngo, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Andy Ngo. No, Andy no Andy no. that's how you
1: pronounce it. Andy, no. Um, yeah. Uh, and that, athlete, yeah, I'm going to finish that because, I, yeah, that that's a very good example of why we have a problem with liberals.
0: I mean, that guy's not a journalist. You know, like, he's, he's an instigator. He picks fights. And, you know, I'm not going to get into an argument about, like, whether people should have thrown shit at him or whatever. But, you know, he starts pushing the story that the milkshakes had concrete in them and then people ran with it. And then even, like, Jake Tapper of CNN, very prominent guy who should know better, starts talking about Antifa. He starts using the word Antifa in their context, not in his own context. He starts using their definition of Antifa, like Antifa's gotten out of control as if it's some sort of a group. And then, you know, with impeachment, we have a Congress where like some people want to do the right thing, but the leadership is, you know, Pelosi. Uh, They don't want to take any action. And so... Yeah, you know, one exam one one solution to that is twenty twenty. Uh if you don't get rid of Trump, you gotta get rid of these other folks. But that's that's what kinda has me worried though, is that it's the liberal it's the sort of like liberal establishment that could be on our side, and if they welcomed us in even, they'd be more powerful. They seem to always fold at the sort of well, see, like that's, at the right that's
1: wing. That's one of the reasons why um, I haven't said exactly who I was going to vote for or anything like that. I'm not going to tell anybody exactly what it is I'm going to do in that voting booth. But I will tell you this, um, the Democrats and Republicans are on borrowed time because people are getting really sick and tired of this. They're going. This is the this is a generation of giant killers. You know, I mean, generation of
0: what? I'm sorry.
1: Generation of giant killers. Okay. we are the one we this generation, not my generation, but the younger generations are really trying to do something to these folks that have been around for so long um, that have caused so much damage. That's why Bill Cosby is sitting in jail, for example. That's why Harvey Weinstein is up on the pike. That's why police are, in fact, going to jail when they never have before. This is a generation of giant killers and they see a big giant in these two major parties that really just exist for each other yeah and, and and folks are sick of that that's why they keep on talking about a civil war within the democratic party because that up-and-coming group the people that they call the squad for example um are a threat to the nancy pelosi's of the world yeah. and and my thinking is if they lose if they lose next year in november that's it for the Democratic Party. People are going to start looking elsewhere because apparently they don't want to win. Yeah. Because when you see the stable of, I'll tell you right now, you see the stable of um, of candidates, of Democratic candidates. Now, conventional wisdom, my, from my perspective, not necessarily from what I really want, but from my perspective, they have a lot of good candidates. And, yeah. and a lot of good candidates coming from various backgrounds that you would never have considered before. And you say, okay, this is the change. This is where we're going in the right direction by looking at about six women that are running. I, I know I raised the number too much. A few people of color, um, someone from the LGBTQ community. What the Democrats? Who did uh, Democrats' um, establishment want to hype up? Old white guy. That's an insult. Sure. That's an insult, and it will be an insult that they'll pay for if that if um, Joe Biden becomes the nominee. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, they, they will pay for that. Um, so they better not do it. They, we know, they know that this, that, that is the candidate that, that almost unilaterally, everybody says no to And yet he's up in the polls.
2: Yeah. So that's my crazy. Thinking is,
1: my thinking is, um, one, we better start recognizing the Democrats as being a little bit more conservative than they, um, let themselves, uh, um, on to be. But, uh, yeah. But I, think, uh, but I think people are going to get sick of it and uh, and they're going to try to do something about it Because right. we want to run this country We want to um, We deserve our say and we deserve the, um, the leadership that we demand, you know, so That is where it all that is where it all begins. You can get trump out of there But what's going to be sitting in that office? People are going to say that. Oh, well now that trump is out um, we're just gonna, we're just gonna begin the healing process. No, you're not gonna begin the healing process. You're gonna indict him. Yeah. Now he's no longer a sitting president. Indict him. Right. And and I guarantee, when he does get out of office, you're gonna have these same Democrats trying to say that they're not gonna do anything to him now. Right. So, and and it's that kind of thing is what we're worried about. If you're not going to fight for us now, you're not gonna fight for us then.
2: Yeah.
1: then you yeah, really have no business where you are.
0: Sure. Sure. And I, I know, I hope we'll
1: I change that. So it's to yeah. plus to remove these characters.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean like, um, well, I'm sorry. I want to, you mentioned something about like, who are the two people who were on the run in Canada that you mentioned earlier? I haven't heard that story.
1: Well, there's the, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go onto my laptop to get their names. But, um, Oh. There are two, um, there are two individuals in British Columbia, um, who also have been radicalized, um, for the white, for white supremacists in, um, it, it up there and, uh, online, I should say on, on, um, uh, various, um, channels sure. here and there. Uh, they've been, people have been looking for them for the better part of the week. And uh they haven't found them yet. So meanwhile, what, we're dealing with do? both both this um nonsense that's going down in California and and these characters. And the reason why I'm I'm stammering here and there is because I'm actually trying to type to get these names out.
0: Well what was what was the crime that they committed?
1: Well they killed um well they killed three people. One okay. was a um one was a one was an old man. I can't remember his name, but the other was a couple, um, an American, American woman and an Australian man, they were a couple and they killed them. I believe it was in the, um, and it was somewhere in the Pacific Northwest and, uh, and they're on the run. People are looking for them right now. And, uh, there, there's, they basically consider serial killers. Okay. They killed a lecturer in British from the University of British Columbia. That's the old man I was referring to, right? And uh, I'm just propping up. I'm just propping up the uh, story now, and or at least they're being um, accused of um, killing him. And then yes. um, they're also implicated in the shooting death of a uh, of a couple that was also up in the. They are apparently obsessed with that. For one thing.
0: Oh, that that you you cut out uh, for a second. What are they obsessed their with?
1: Cam are Camiclode and Breyer Sh- Shemleski. I'm sorry, I'm getting that name wrong. But That's they're okay. two white kids. They were into um, what you would call it, Into Adolf Hitler and such, and they um were radicalized online. Okay. And um, but they killed a couple. Um, one woman. The woman's name was China Deese. She's from Raleigh, right. and her and her, um, boyfriend, and again, I'm stammering because I'm trying to read the, uh, trying to read the article and my computer isn't being nice. That's to okay. Me. I mean, Lucas I can... Fowler of Sydney, Australia. They're but you're found, saying that- um, found shot on a highway.
0: You're saying that, uh, these folks were, uh, cause I'm looking at it right now and their victims are white. Uh, right. but these two people, um, uh, are, they are, um, The people who are on the run, they are kind of like white supremacist, uh, radicalized white supremacist folks. Uh, Correct. Okay. Cool. I'll I'll look that up myself and post an article for that later. Um, Did uh, your relationship with Brian Widener uh, or your work with Brian Widener, do you you know if that inspired other people to leave the movement?
1: I think a lot of times people do get inspired by things like that. I hope this movie does help people understand that there are folks that would like to help get them out if they want to get out. Um, But I think really um, a lot of folks just get inspired by going through their day to day and realizing that as they get older, as they have kids, that this is not the world for them anymore.
0: Right okay um and and you said the movie has like a little coda at the end where it says that you and- Brian are still friends um yeah do you guys, do you guys still um so you guys are still buddies um yeah,
1: we were hanging out this weekend, I yeah, mean, yeah, I mean he was there for the he was there to um to watch the movie he had not seen the movie in a while, right. um, he only seen the rough draft this was the first time he was able to see it in the theater, we had a really good time um it was funny because. This world that we're in right now is is foreign to us. This Hollywood thing, yeah. and it, it's just crazy seeing just one celebrity just randomly showing up after another. It's just like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the beauty of it, and the beauty of it, is that they're coming to see you. They yeah. are thanking you for what you do. They like what you do.
0: Sure, that's great. So yeah. Like,
1: yeah. And, and and you just get so humbled when you hear that. And for me, who just spent the past 20 years just hearing um, garbage coming from Nazis about me, inclu- up to including songs written about me, it's refreshing to hear that, yeah, there are some people who appreciate what it is you do. Sure. And want you to continue to do it, you know. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, cool. Um, I think, you know... That's about it. This is sort of a decent way, this is a decent place to start wrapping up. Is there anything else you want to say about either the movie or
1: um, Right now the movie is only in a few theaters. Um, you can get it on um, on demand, video on demand. Um, but if you want to try to get it in your local theaters, um, hit me up. I could probably help you out with that.
0: And uh, where, sh- where and should they hit, hit you up? You can hit me
1: up at onepeoplesproject.com um, on Twitter. Instagram and Venmo because one people's project definitely, needs, um, ducats. Um, yeah, I'm at D Lamont Jenkins on Twitter, Instagram and Venmo. <laughs>
0: cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, actually, um, I, the last episode of paradox of civility, uh, was an interview that I had with someone named Corey Lou Burt. Um, mm-hmm. and she had mentioned that she had written a letter to you. Uh, she was a former neo-Nazi, uh, in the Oregon area. Well, she traveled around, she went by the name Access Sally. Right,
1: and, right. Um,
0: do you remember who I'm talking about? Yes, like, I do. She was a bodybuilder, and uh, she had like a really fascinating life and a fascinating story. Um, I'm going to be interviewing her again for the for the episode after this one that you're hearing right now, obviously. Um, so I'll be interviewing her again. Um, do you still keep in touch with her or any other people that you have leave like- the movement?
1: I haven't spoken to her in, in um in a few years, and that's just simply because she's moved on with her life and, and that's what she wanted to do. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm really happy for her. I'm glad she's still out of the game. Yeah. Um it, as you get older, you do want to um just uh move on to uh make your life worth something for real as opposed to trying to ruin everyone else's.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, so uh this has been uh Paradox of Civility. Uh and I've been talking to Daryl Lamont Jenkins, the founder of One People's Project. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, the movie is Skin, directed by Guy Nativ, starring J.B. Bell and Mike Coulter and Daniel McDonald and Vera Farmiga and other great people. It's in theaters and also on and video on demand. <coughs> and I am now losing my voice, so... <laughs> I'm going to say uh, good night to Daryl and good night to you, listener.
1: Take care, y'all.